way through the book of James. Um, James is the half-brother of Jesus, and we know from the Gospels that James didn't always believe in his brother, just like you wouldn't believe if your brother announced when he became an adult that he was the son of God, savior of the world. Uh, it was hard for James to believe that his brother, even though his brother really was sinless, you know, he was still his, his brother. And so uh, through his lifetime, we find in the Gospels, these guys, uh, James and Jesus and others questioning uh, actually questioning Jesus and at some points like seemingly wanting to take him out of the public ministry and get him some help. Um, it's a true story. Uh, and so what's, what's crazy is, you know, when your brother says he's the son of God, savior of the world, okay, but then like watching him for three years do public ministry and an unbelievable consistency and maybe hearing about miracles, maybe even seeing some of those and then seeing him die a miserable death on a cross, but then showing up three days later, uh, and rising from the dead. It's, it's pretty convincing. And so we know James became a follower of Jesus and he became a leader in the early church in Jerusalem. So he was very influential in helping uh, the early church of Jerusalem, which was the first hub of Christianity, right? Uh, to be able to figure out how do we integrate Gentile Christians into Christianity? Because up to that point, everybody had been a Jew and they had the law and all of that. And they're like, well, do we make people, uh, Gentiles become Jews so they can become Christians? And so James actually with a beautiful, uh, uh, with lots of wisdom and beautiful insight from the Lord uh, and guidance decided there were some things, uh, very few things that uh, Gentiles needed to submit to, um, but welcomed them into the family. Now, James is writing a letter um, to his, uh, to Christians who are spread out. Um, he's writing from Jerusalem, but he's writing people uh, who follow Jesus. And if you have been along with this journey, you know this to be true. He is absolutely roasting us, right? I mean, no let up, no, no pause. Um, it is week after week after week, whether it's, you know, chapter one, talking about your anger and how quick you are to speak, or, uh, you know, chapter two, he's talking about being a, um, a you know, not a doer of the word, but uh, just a hearer and, and uh, not demonstrating your faith by your works. Or it's chapter three, talking about how we use our tongues to tear down other people. Uh, none of us have gotten away from this. Um, and so uh, I, I know it's, you might be hoping that this week we kind of turn a corner and James like gives us a big hug. Let me just set your mind at ease. No, not going to happen. James just keeps coming. Um, but listen, this, you have to understand what James was doing. James was writing to the early church. This was uh, one of the first letters that got circulated and accepted as scripture, uh, even before the gospels had been written. And so he is it's very important that he is setting the parameters and the guidelines for what it means to live life as a Christian, that it really does matter. You can't just be like, well, I follow Jesus, but then like do whatever you want to with your life. It, they're, they're, those two things are mutually exclusive. And so he's trying to bring everyone in under the lordship of his older half-brother, Jesus. And there's two reasons why this is good for us, even though we don't like it. Um, two things from scripture. One is that the Lord disciplines those he loves. Hebrews 12 reminds us that um, the Lord disciplines his sons. And it's never to be mean. It's never to crush us. And he even recognizes there in Hebrews uh, 12, it says, and discipline is not pleasant when it happens, right? It, it hurts. It's unpleasant. But it bears, bears a peaceful fruit of righteousness in the life of a believer. So, and, and to, to give you a better framework for that, righteousness in your life is going to lead to deeper joy, deeper peace, a more fruitful life. That's what God is wanting for you. And sometimes to get you there, he's got to discipline you. In fact, if he actually loves you, he will discipline you. 
Um, and he has done that through uh, James, <laughs> which is the second point about, uh, about discipline and how this is working for us, is God's word is his primary tool for discipline. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So, so James is, is the word of God being used as healthy discipline for us, and it kind of cuts past our defenses, right? kind of cuts past, well, I'm a pretty good person. Well, yeah, what about your thought life, you know? Um, <laughs> dang, you know? Um, and so James goes after us. Now, last week we saw how James uh, calls out friendship with the world as being an enemy with God, and that, that what happens is we build ourselves up and set ourselves up against God. And so the, the text ends with a call to submit yourself to God, to seek God, to humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. If you remember, uh, it's basically the contrast of pride. He will, he will humble the prideful, uh, but exalt the humble. Uh, so today, what he's doing is he's continuing that line of thought by giving us two areas that we do this. There are two areas that you and I seek to usurp God's authority God's position in our lives. One is in relation to judging other people, and the other is in relation to how we plan uh, for our future. And so, um, you know, when my, my kids were small, um, like, uh, they, like every other child, they're adorable, they were cute, um, they, were, they were mostly good kids. Um, but there were times where, just like every other child, they were little tyrants, Right, you know what I'm talking about. Those little those moments where they just demand their way, you know, where they want they don't want what you're eating. They want you to take them over to that restaurant so they can eat that food, right? Or they they want to do something different, or they don't want to uh, wear what you have for them. Um, and they 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 act like little tyrants. What they do, it, it's, if you stop and think about it, is crazy. Is they try to try to assert their position, of which they have no money limited knowledge, and very little ability to actually provide or produce any of those things, but that does not stop them from trying, right? This is my house. We're going to do what I want. I'm like, okay, well, you can pay the bills too. You know, what are you going to use, your toys? Um, <laughs> and so it's, it's funny, but that's, a, that's an analogy for what we do in relation to God. We, we, we basically step out of being under God and try to demand or control our lives. This week is about usurping God's position in our lives by looking at how we judge and how we uh, plan for the future. So let's look at James 4, 11 through 17. I'll read it, and when I'm done, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And I invite you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. Actually, let's pick up in verse 10 there. You can just at least hear me say it. It's not going to be on the screen. But humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So that was the end of last week. Very important in understanding this week. Verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save, he who is able to save and to destroy. He who, uh, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. 
As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is our, the original sin. It is the root of every issue you have with God. It is you seeking to substitute yourself for God. You seeking to step into God's place to control, plan, lead, uh, implement uh, things in your life. And, and the two ways we're looking at today are the ways we usurp, first, we usurp God when we judge others, and then secondly, we usurp God uh, in how we plan a self-determined future. So, how we usurp God when we judge others. I use the word usurp on purpose, because it is, it is a play for authority, it's a play for a position. We, we, we commit mutiny against God. We commit treason against the rightful ruler. Um, And James is clear, when we judge others, this is what we are doing. Look at verse 12. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let me me paraphrase that last statement for you in modern vernacular for us. Who do you think you are? Now, I heard that a few times when I was a kid. It was not because I was cleaning my room or doing good things. It was usually because I was trying to usurp authority, grab control of my family, do what I wanted to do. And, and my mom would look at me or dad would say, who do you think you are? Well, God is saying, who do you think you are to actually stand in the position of judge of other people? And literally what he, what he says here is, is not, not simply speak evil. It, it, what the ESV translation says, do not speak evil against one another's brothers, but accurately, more accurately, it would simply be do not speak against one another. Some translate it as slander. But what it can include here is not simply, uh, it, can, it can include, yes, slander and, and, and criticism and gossip about someone, but it can also include speaking against someone by speaking the truth, but in a harmful and hurtful way. So it, it kind of encompasses it all, right? Um, false accusations and misrepresentations or Truth delivered in an unloving and unkind way. We live in a cultural moment, right? Where people need to speak their truth, right? Speak truth to power. And, and, and yet, in that, you got to stop and ask, are there, is there anyone who actually says there are guidelines for how we should do this? Or is it pretty much let it fly? Right? I mean, there, whether it's social media or even interaction or, or whether you're protesting or whatever, uh, there's a space to speak about things, and we'll talk about that in a moment, space to, space to speak truth about things, but there is not a space to speak uh, truth about things in a satanic or evil way. Because in doing so, think about how Satan like co-ops that. You've got the right idea. You've got a truth. And you've got a truth that lines up with God. But you're going to go about it in such an ungodly way of speaking about it that that God can't even use it because people can't receive it when it's delivered in that way. The question today for us in relation to this is, are we willing to own that we all do this? (laughs) We all do. Every one of us speaks to others in this way. We've said things that were gossip or we're not, uh, we're not ultimately uh, for the good of that person. And we have said things that are, uh, may have been true, but were unkind. So we're willing to own that. Are we willing to let James push on us here 
and us to receive, who do you think you are? Because this is the purpose, to get us to look at our hearts in this moment. The law that James is referring to here is uh, believed to be, it's, you can't know conclusively, but Leviticus 19.18, very famous command that Jesus echoed, love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus was asked to sum up the, the entire Old Testament law and what, are the, what is the greatest commandment, he didn't just give one commandment, he gave two, but because they're inextricably tied. And he said, you've got to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, and you have to love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot say you love God and not love your neighbor. James has already shown us that, right? You can't say, I love you, God, but I hate you, neighbor. It doesn't work that way. And so what James is building on here is when we say, well, I don't really have to love my neighbor. I can say I love God and then treat my neighbor poorly. You step above the law. You say that law about loving your neighbor and actually speaking in love to other people, um, that's for other people. I get to step above it. Rather than submitting to the law and keeping it, as James says, we become a judge of the law itself. What James is saying here echoes Jesus' words in Matthew 7, verse 1, very famous passage, judge not that you be not judged. I, I think people still use the old King James Version, right? What is it? Judge not lest you be judged, right? Like there's something in this. It's funny uh, that our culture does not know many Bible verses anymore. Um, it, I don't know if anybody went to the Koa softball game last week. I do not know who showed up with the John 3.16 poster, but it was awesome. Literally sat in the stands holding a John 3.16 poster. <laughs> so some of you are too, too young to know this, but for, for many, many years in the NFL and golf tournaments, like on television, there was somebody in the background holding up a John 3.16 poster. <laughs> so they, were, they were holding that up. Um, it, made me, it made me laugh. Um, but people don't know John 3.16 anymore. What they do know is, judge not, lest ye be judged, right? <laughs> And, and it's, it's interesting, Jesus is not really saying what we think he's saying, but in one sense, yes, it means not to be judgmental. It means, uh, in our culture, uh, and it means not to have a judgmental spirit towards another person. Our culture has meant that to, to say, well, you just can't say anything against anybody at any point. You can't make any judgment calls about anything that anyone does at any point, or you're being judgmental. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's not what James is saying. He is saying... When we engage other people, are we judging them, like condemning them? Or when we're even talking about someone, do we judge them, condemn them? And, or when we talk to them directly, are we acting in unchristlike ways, in unloving ways? Now, why can we say conclusively, without a shadow of a doubt, that there is a place to lovingly and humbly Correct other people and to call out their sin. How, why do we know this beyond a shadow of a doubt? Because there's a letter called James that we have been reading. And either James is the biggest hypocrite in the history of Christianity, or there's a way for him to call out things in our lives where he's doing it out of love to call us in deeper, to know God more. This entire letter, indeed the entire Bible, right? As I just read a few moments ago, is a, is a sharp-edged sword. It's meant for, to, to serve us for good. 
But James is describing people who are judgmental, who are, he says, are not a doer of the law, but a judge. It's like a, uh, like an armchair quarterback. If you don't know the um, American football, it's, don't confuse that with soccer. The rest of the entire universe calls um, soccer football, but Americans call it soccer because um, that's how we roll. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but an armchair quarterback is, is a person who, uh, the quarterback on a football team runs the offense, throws the ball, hands the ball off, like basically moves the offense down the field so they can score. An armchair quarterback is someone who's sitting in their home in their chair watching the game. And they're like, you shouldn't have thrown the ball like that. You held on to the ball too long. Why didn't you hand off? Why didn't you run this play? That, you, I could have seen that play coming a mile away. That defensive lineman was coming at you. You should have you know, dodged to the left or run out to your right or whatever. And, and they're sitting there and they're making all these calls and there's one issue. It's not their game. Not their position. They're not in the game. And the only play they're making for is a bag of Cheetos, right? And that's what we do when we become judges. We remove ourselves from God's game and then we sit back and we judge everybody else as if we are not a part of it, as if we are not responsible to it, as if we, um, are, not, uh, we are not part of the game itself. When you speak badly of other people and judge other people, you remove yourself from their level and evaluate and criticize them from above. All right, so good question is, how do you know when you've crossed, this is a good question, when, how do you know when you've crossed that line from being judgment, uh, like, okay, I see this as sin, or this is right and this is wrong, and I need to speak about it, into being judgmental about someone? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked, because it's right in my notes. In Matthew 7, Jesus continues his thought, right? Matthew 7, after judge not, that you may, may not be judged, in, in verses three through five, he says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eyes, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So what this, this imagery that Jesus is using here is, is kind of funny. So it's, you know, if you can imagine someone walking around and going, I think you got a speck there. Let me see if I can help you with that. Oh, you got one over here too. Let me get that. What he's saying is not, don't ever go help anyone with their speck. He's saying, look at the log first. What does looking at the log do? What does that do in your own heart? You're a lot more gracious to that other person, aren't you? Aren't you? You're a lot more humble in coming to them. Because you know you're not awesome. And so what you do when you come to them, you're coming to them in humility because you know you yourself are a sinner who needs grace. So I'd say, when you think about other people, do you have a judgmental spirit in your heart? Do you sitting here right now think that you are better than someone else or a group of people? I'm just going to go ahead and throw that. Are you, are you better than those liberals, right? Are you better than those conservatives, right? Do you, do you buy into the narrative of the culture that's sort of exalting my group and who I am and, our, and, and we love belonging, but we love belonging to the group that we agree with and we love demeaning and, 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 and uh, talking down about other people. Again, not saying that there's not a place to speak truth. 
Absolutely. We follow a Savior that speaks truth. But the question is not, can we speak truth? It's, can we speak it in love in our hearts for the other person? Because we follow a Savior who died for people who were his enemies. And if we can't have that love in our hearts, then we need to zip it in our mouths. Judge not, right? All right, so we usurp God when we assume his authority and power by judging others. Secondly, we usurp God when we plan a self-determined future. This is really interesting. He, he begins, look at verse 13. He says, come now. This is, this is the only place in the Bible, this, uh, in the Greek, that this actually shows up. We, there's uh, ancient Greek literature that this phrase shows up. It is, it is, listen up. Or just in a modern vernacular, come on, bro. Come on. He's calling us out. He's, he's, he's calling us out about planning our lives in, uh, apart from God. Now, some of you are big planners in this room. I know it. I have seen your, your uh, Google calendar, color-coded, charted. You've got your vacation for 2024 scheduled, right? You, you've got your workouts for the next you know, couple of years, rotations, you know, when, what days you're going to do what. You know your doctor's appointments for, you know, out till 2025. You've got all that scheduled. God bless you. There are some that are like that. Others of you don't know what you're going to do this afternoon because you haven't even thought about it yet. And you know who you are because you just thought about the fact that I don't know what I'm going to do this afternoon. <laughs> That's okay. So God has all kinds in the family. It's not about planning the future. Those of you that have your till 2025 plan should probably relax a little bit and maybe help the people that don't, know, don't have this afternoon planned. But the truth is it's not about planning the future. It's about the attitude of the heart here as we do it. Do we do it with this, self, this sense of self-determination that we are the ones to do it? Listen, if you're not a Christian, again, I would say thanks for coming out on such a hot day to, to, to go to church um, and to visit a church. But, but I would say this is a reality you have to deal with as well, not just Christians. And that is the fact that we can't control our futures, right? We we can plan, but we can't control our futures. We really can't. There's no one in this room who is immune from your phone buzzing right now and it wrecking the next few weeks of your life and longer. Right? It can happen to all of us. So James is giving us an object lesson here that's helping us to, to step, to, to breathe and realize we're not awesome, as awesome as we might think, and that's okay. So he tells us first, our knowledge is limited. Verse 13, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such a town and uh, spend a year there and trade and make a profit. The, the idea you who say is, uh, it, the way it's written is uh, pointing to the idea of this is not an isolated incident, but a, a frequent uh, incident that you who are saying like, oh, this year I'm going to go here, next week go in there, next month, whatever, uh, traveling like this. Now, in first century Jewish culture, it was very common to do, for uh, Jewish businessmen to, to travel and to do this. And think, listen to the well-laid plan. This is some, how some of you think. I'm going to go in such, such and such town. I'm going to spend a year there. I'm going to trade and make a profit. And they even had when they're going to depart. They had their flights already booked. Leaving tomorrow, right? Spend a year there in a certain city. But verse 14 says something very important to us. Yet you do not know 
what tomorrow will bring. Is there a Bible verse that is more objectively true for all of us than that verse? Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. How many of you have gone into a day or a week and you're like, I've got it laid out, this is how the week's going to go. And by Wednesday, you're like, what is happening? I was going to do this, but then this happened over here. Changed everything. All my plans went out the window. You know, some of you started a day and got a phone call about a family member that's sick and you're on a plane the next day, right? Like, it happens to us all the time. We do not know what tomorrow holds. And James is trying to help us to admit that. You can make plans and do everything you can to make sure that they come about, but you simply do not know what tomorrow holds. We, as a group of people living in the world today, have been given a gift to remind us of this beyond all question. It's called COVID-19. Right? How many glorious plans have gone out the window because of COVID? See, back in uh, March of 2020, Teresa and I had an amazing trip to Aruba booked. Flights were booked. Airbnb was booked. Uh, I even picked out restaurants, points of interest, what beaches we would go to, what time of the day we should go there, other uh, places we should go on the island, all of that. Anybody want to guess if we went? Did not matter how much my plans were there, I could not know tomorrow. You and I cannot know tomorrow. Now, a lot of times we can guess, (laughs) generally speaking. And that's one of the reasons why God's not against us, planning for tomorrow. But we need to plan for tomorrow in a way that doesn't act like we know the future. We need to plan in a way that recognizes that God knows the future. This echoes a lesson that Jesus taught uh, on the parable of the rich man. If you know the the story at all, Jesus told this story of a rich man who had a bumper crop. He he was already wealthy, like really wealthy, and he had a bumper crop one year. And and he said, you know what? I think I'm just going to tear down my giant barns, and I'm going to build mega giant barns for all of my extra wealth. And Jesus is the only person in in Jesus' ministry that he actually calls a fool. He says, you fool. You don't know that tonight you will die and your soul will be demanded of you, then who will have all that you are worrying about, thinking about, dreaming about? And so he, he, he pushes on us. Jesus is reminding us um, that we do not get to know the future. And not only is our knowledge limited, he also tells us our power is limited. Verse 14, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while, a little time, and then vanishes this isn't a mist. I know you might think about the mist that like rises on a, on a pond or a lake in the morning, you know, and then you know, 10, 11 a.m., the sun kind of burns it off. No, the, the, the language here is a, is a vapor, like that cold winter morning when you step outside and you go, and it's gone. It's fast. I mean, really fast. Life is super fast. It's one of the things I... Um, I had my, my church in Kentucky, I was around a lot of older people, um, ended up doing uh, around 100 funerals in, uh, while I was pastor in Kentucky, my last church, over nine years. And I remember talking to a lot of older people, and one of the things they would tell me again and again and again and again, life goes by so quickly. 
you've got to stop, you've got to breathe, you've got to take in the moments that, that God gives you. Um, and some of these people were 80, 90, even one lady was 101 years old. Um, and I thought it was fascinating to hear that. And the older I get, the more I realize they are exactly right. It just seems like it goes by faster and faster. Life is a vapor. And this is, this is where Ecclesiastes gives us some wisdom here. Ecclesiastes kind of echoes this idea of life being a vapor. He says, uh, Ecclesiastes is known for the repeated phrase, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless, or vanity is vanity, all is vanity. What, what the Ecclesiastes is pointing to, what the author is pointing to, is not how, how purposeless life is. He's saying how quick it is. It's over. Things happen like this. And of course, we have no knowledge of our future, nor can we control our future and when we will die. This businessman that James is referring to is making plans as if his life was not limited and he had control of the future. He's pointing to it and he calls him out as he calls it out as pride, thinking you are in control when you are a vapor. Vapors don't control much, do they? Again, not saying we're a bad vapor, not saying you're not a loved vapor. But you are a vapor, and I am a vapor. And to, to think more of myself is to try to usurp God's position. I'm, I'm kind of semi-eternal godish, you know? No, you're not. You're a vapor. You'll be gone. Elon Musk will be gone. Everybody will be gone. No matter how wealthy, no matter how powerful, even if their sheer medical science gets them to 100, 120 years, no one escapes. Life is a vapor. If you've been, to give you a little perspective on this, um, if you've been around Koa, you know a little bit that I'm uh, a bit of an astronomy nerd. And so uh, in, in 1990, we launched a satellite in space called the Hubble Space Telescope. Um, it was glorious. And I have, watched, I have looked at hundreds and hundreds of pictures from the Hubble Space Telescope. Really incredible. Um, but if any of you happen to be using a 1990 computer right now, you kind of know that it's it's out of date. It's not up to snuff. It's not equal with modern technology or capabilities. So we launched uh, in December 2021, we launched the James Webb Space Telescope. Rah, rah. Um, it is state of the art and uh, has given us some, the, two of the first shots that came back are these, and I'm just going to briefly highlight them. The first is this is the, uh, a star-forming region in the Carina Nebula. We've taken pictures before, but imagine the pictures you took with your old flip phone <laughs> compared to what your iPhone does now, right? Um, we can see details of stars being born in this nebula. The second one is the first deep field image that they took. So they, they literally zoomed in on this one little tiny black spot in space and took a picture. This is the big shot um, and then the next slide is like zoomed in. Every speck that you see is a galaxy. Every speck is an entire galaxy, like the Milky Way, right? And there are hundreds, thousands in this one image. It, just to give you a little perspective, if you were standing outside, they say, this in looking out at the sky is the equivalent of holding a grain of sand at arm's length. That's the size of the deep field shot. And we look at this and go, oh, that's cool. I'm in charge of my life. I've got this. 
I am all powerful. <laughs> I, so this is me. I think God has been like, had this stuff out there for a long time. Nobody's seen it. I mean, they've seen it for hundreds of years. We have history, you know, of, of even the Greeks like looking at stars, but they had no concept of how big, the, how far away they are, how big they are, how amazing they are. And I think just about the time humanity was getting really smart, God's like, they're going to, they're going to start seeing. And these things have been sitting out there, created by the God of the universe for us to be, just go, wow, we're small. <laughs> and, and it makes, and, and I would argue this, it makes the fact that God loves you like really staggering. I mean, we're not even one of those little dots, right? We're not one of those galaxies. That's not our sun. It's an entire galaxy of millions and billions of stars. We are floating around we are subatomic particles floating around on a speck of dust in space. And yet we're dearly loved. And tell me, just for a moment, what in us, it shows you our need for grace, our need for God's love, God's redemption, that we would actually for one second assume we have control and power and authority. That's a gift. Being reminded of that is not a bad thing. It helps you to live in a right perspective, right? It helps you to live um, in the lane that God has created for you because how much better is it to live in light of the one who made you and loves you, right? And, and to live under his authority and his good plan and his purpose for you. We sang about that just a few moments ago, right? The sovereign God has a plan and a purpose for you. How much better is it to live in that than to somehow try to carve out my own little kingdom, my own little world, we need to accept God's sovereignty in our, in our lives and actively live in good submission to him and his will. James is saying the one who doesn't do this is sinning. The one who is doing this is full of pride. They've set themselves up against God. Now, I'd argue this doesn't mean you can't make plans. Some of you are like, does this mean I need to delete my Google Calendar? No, this doesn't mean delete your Google Calendar. God loves planners. Read the book of Proverbs, right? book of Proverbs, a lot of advice, good advice about planning for the future. That's just biblical wisdom. But all of it is done in light of who God is and his place in the universe, right? And so it's not just, I'm not God and I will plan things and I will put them out as dependent upon God's goodness and grace to help me do these things. But it's also that even how I would think about those things themselves, what I would do should be in light of who God is, Right? And I think probably one of the best like, short verses to, to help us think through this, help you plan in a godly way, is Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ, uh, hidden in, with Christ in God. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So then how you live your life today, this is, this is what the last phrase, um, verse 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I want to argue this. Sin is not simply doing the wrong things. It is failing to do the right thing. In light of this passage, it is failing to live in light of who God is. And live your life for his glory and in, 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 in live out your life in Christ. That means submitting your workplace to God. 
That means understanding he has sent you there not to, not to clock in and clock out and do some work, but to live for his glory there, to bring the light of the gospel into that place. He has created us as a church not to, to sit around and just uh, encourage each other and love each other and walk with each other, but to love and serve this city for his name's sake. He's called us to, to, with our resources, not to, to think about more ways that uh, we can sort of enjoy it for ourselves, but ways we can be more generous. That means, it means living your life under God. The good news is that this is, Jesus lived this life for us. Think about him. He was judged wrongly, wasn't he? And he submitted himself to the control of sinful people. And he did it all and died on the cross for you and for me who judge other people and act like we're our own God at times. This is the gospel. This is the good news at the end of the uh, James taking us uh, to town, right? You deserve to be judged because you're judging, right? Would anyone in this room just raise their hand? Nope, not me. I never make judgments, never criticize, never gossip. I'm never uh, looked down on other people. No, no one in this room would. And so the good news is Christ died for that. He was judged because you judge. And he gave his life on the cross. So you will not be cast out. Christ is calling each of us into this life. He's died to free us from the illusion, the sinful illusion that began in the Garden of Eden that we are God. Remember that? The temptation was what? You will be like God. And today, if you are willing to recognize that and see that in your own life and turn from that, God's got grace for you. He loves you. He knows you're weak. He knows you're anxious about the future. He knows you're afraid of things. He knows you're, that you sometimes judge other people. He knows it, and he loves you anyway. This is the God who we are joyfully to submit our lives to. Or you can keep going on your own. And so we're going to move into a time of communion and response. And communion really is that reminder that Christ was judged for us. Christ was cast out for us. And today, maybe you need to take a few moments to just repent in your heart to the Lord and, and uh, ad- admit some things to him. Lay down that, that judgment card. Lay down the calendar. You may need to hold your phone. Just pray over that thing. <laughs> God help me as I make plans, as I add new dates on my calendar, new events, that I would do it in light of who you are and who you've made me to be. That's how you live your life. That's how you enjoy life. That's how you thrive as a follower of Christ in this world. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll do a communion. And um, for anyone who's a follower of Christ, you know where you stand with him today. Uh, over this next song, you can slip out, make your way to the front, go out the side. We'll have to, we have to take outside because we're not allowed to have food or drink in here. Um, but if you're a Christian, you're following him, you can uh, do that anytime over this next song. Uh, if you're not a Christian or not sure where you are with God or Christ today, um, please don't take communion. That's really for those that have joined the family who, who really are all in. Um, we'd love to help you experience Christ's grace for you today, that today he's, his hands are open. 
He, he's, he loves you. He's inviting, inviting you in. Um, I'll be in the back, and then we'll also have some folks over here uh, the rest of the service and afterwards who will be uh, available to pray with you. Um, and so let's pray now, and then we'll respond together. Christ, would you, would you forgive us for judging others? For speaking against them, as James talks about. Speaking out loud or speaking in our minds or speaking online in ways that do not recognize the image of God in someone else. Do not recognize that someone else is loved by God. Lord, I pray you would help us, Lord. Our speech needs to be light and salt in this dark world. So help begin with our hearts, God. We know that that's what needs to be changed for our speech to change. And God, I pray that you'd help us also, God, to um, look at our lives, even tomorrow, even this afternoon, and, and just joyfully submit it to you to trust you, to walk with you, to make plans in light of you, to pray more earnestly how you would use our lives for your glory and to do the good that we should do that we have not done before. As we take the bread and the cup, we remember your body and your blood broken and poured out for us. We take it with joy. We take it with anticipation. We may not know the future in our lives, but we know the future that one day you will return for your church. And what a glorious day that will be. In your name. 